Wakefield from Twice Told Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. In some old magazine or newspaper, I recollect a story told as truth of a man, let us call him Wakefield, who absented himself for a long time from his wife. The fact, thus abstractedly stated, is not very uncommon, nor, without a proper distinction of circumstances, to be condemned either as naughty or nonsensical. Howbeit this, though far from the most aggravated, is perhaps the strangest instance on record of marital delinquency, and moreover as remarkable a freak as may be found in the whole list of human oddities. The wedded couple lived in London the man under pretence of going on a journey took lodgings in the next street to his own house and there unheard of by his wife or friends and without the shadow of a reason for such self-banishment dwelt upward of twenty years during that period he beheld his home every day and frequently the forlorn mrs wakefield and after so great a gap in his matrimonial felicity when his death was reckoned certain, his estate settled, his name dismissed from memory, and his wife long, long ago resigned to her autumnal widowhood, he entered the door one evening quietly as from a day's absence, and became a loving spouse till death. This outline is all that I remember, but the incident, though of the purest originality, unexampled and probably never to be repeated, is one, I think, which appeals to the general sympathies of mankind. We know, each for himself, that none of us would perpetuate such a folly, yet feel as if some other might. To my own contemplations, at least, it has often recurred, always exciting wonder, but with a sense that the story must be true and a conception of its hero's character. Whenever any subject so forcibly affects the mind, time is well spent in thinking of it if the reader choose let him do his own meditation or if he prefer to ramble with me through the twenty years of wakefield's vagary i bid him welcome trusting that there will be a pervading spirit and a moral even should we fail to find them done up neatly and condensed into the final sentence thought has always its efficacy and every striking incident its moral what sort of a man was wakefield we are free to shape out our own idea and call it by his name he was now in the meridian of life his matrimonial affections never violent were sobered into a calm habitual sentiment of all husbands he was likely to be the most constant because a certain sluggishness would keep his heart at rest wherever it might be placed he was intellectual but not actively so his mind occupied itself in long and lazy musings that tended to no purpose or had no vigour to attain it his thoughts were seldom so energetic as to seize hold of words imagination in the proper meaning of the term made no part of wakefield's gifts with a cold but not depraved nor wandering heart and a mind never feverish with riotous thoughts nor perplexed with originality who could have anticipated that our friend would entitle himself to a foremost place among the doers of eccentric deeds had his acquaintances been asked who was the man in london the surest to perform nothing to-day 
which should be remembered on the morrow, they would have thought of Wakefield. Only the wife of his bosom might have hesitated. She, without having analyzed his character, was partly aware of a quiet selfishness that had rusted into his inactive mind, of a peculiar sort of vanity the most uneasy attribute about him, of a disposition to craft which had seldom produced more positive effects than the keeping of petty secrets hardly worth revealing, and lastly, of what she called a little strangeness sometimes in the good man. This latter quality was indefinable, and perhaps non-existent. Let us now imagine Wakefield bidding adieu to his wife. It is the dusk of an October evening. His equipment is a drab greatcoat, a hat covered with an oilcloth, top boots, an umbrella in one hand, and a small portmanteau in the other. He has informed Mrs. Wakefield that he is to take the night coach into the country. She would fain inquire the length of his journey, its object, and the probable time of his return, but, indulgent to his harmless love of mystery, interrogates him only by a look. He tells her not to expect him positively by the return coach, nor to be alarmed should he tarry three or four days, but at all events to look for him at supper on Friday evening. Wakefield himself, be it considered, has no suspicion of what is before him. He holds out his hand, she gives her own, and meets his parting kiss in the matter-of-course way of a ten years' matrimony, and forth goes the middle-aged Mr. Wakefield, almost resolved to perplex his good lady by a whole week's absence. After the door has closed behind him, she perceives it thrust partly open, and a vision of her husband's face through the aperture, smiling on her and gone in a moment. For the time this little incident is dismissed without a thought, but long afterward, when she has been more years as a widow than a wife, that smile recurs and flickers across all her reminiscences of Wakefield's visage. In her many musings she surrounds the original smile with a multitude of fantasies which make it strange and awful, as, for instance, if she imagines him in a coffin, that parting look is frozen on his pale features, or if she dreams of him in heaven, still his blessed spirit wears a quiet and crafty smile. Yet for its sake, when all others have given him up for dead, she sometimes doubts whether she is a widow. But our business is with the husband. We must hurry after him along the street, ere he lose his individuality and melt into the great mass of London life. It would be vain searching for him there. Let us follow close at his heels, therefore, until, after several superfluous turns and doublings, we find him comfortably established by the fireside of a small apartment previously bespoken. He is in the next street to his own, and at his journey's end. He can scarcely trust his good fortune in having got thither unperceived, recollecting that at one time he was delayed by the throng in the very focus of a lighted lantern, and again there were footsteps that seemed to tread behind his own, distinct from the multitudinous tramp around him, and anon he heard a voice shouting afar and fancied that it called his name. Doubtless a dozen busybodies had been watching him and told his wife the whole affair. Poor Wakefield! Little knowest thou thine own significance in this great world. 
no mortal eye but mine has traced thee go quietly to thy bed foolish man and on the morrow if thou wilt be wise get thee home to good mrs wakefield and tell her the truth remove not thyself even for a little week from thy place in her chaste bosom were she for a single moment to deem thee dead or lost or lastingly divided from her thou wouldst be woefully conscious of a change in thy true wife for ever after it is perilous to make a chasm in human affections not that they gape so long and wide but so quickly close again almost repenting of his frolic or whatever it may be termed wakefield lies down betimes and starting from his first nap spreads forth his arms into the wide and solitary waste of the unaccustomed bed no thinks he gathering the bedclothes about him i will not sleep alone another night in the morning he rises earlier than usual and sets himself to consider what he really means to do such are his loose and rambling modes of thought that he has taken this very singular step with the consciousness of a purpose indeed but without being able to define it sufficiently for his own contemplation the vagueness of the project and the convulsive effort with which he plunges into the execution of it are equally characteristic of a feeble-minded man wakefield sifts his ideas however as minutely as he may and finds himself curious to know the progress of matters at home how his exemplary wife will endure her widowhood of a week and briefly how the little sphere of creatures and circumstances in which he was a central object will be affected by his removal a morbid vanity therefore lies nearest the bottom of the affair but how is he to attain his ends not certainly by keeping close in this comfortable lodging where though he slept and awoke in the next street to his home he is as effectually abroad as if the stage-coach had been whirling him away all night yet should he reappear the whole project is knocked in the head his poor brains being hopelessly puzzled with this dilemma he at length ventures out partly resolving to cross the head of the street and send one hasty glance toward his forsaken domicile habit for he is a man of habit takes him by the hand and guides him wholly unaware to his own door where just at the critical moment he is aroused by the scraping of his foot upon the step wakefield whither are you going at that instant his fate was turning on the pivot little dreaming of the doom to which his first backward step devotes him he hurries away breathless with agitation hitherto unfelt and hardly dares turn his head at the distant corner can it be that nobody caught sight of him will not the whole household the decent mrs wakefield the smart maid-servant and the dirty little footboy raise a hue and cry through london streets in pursuit of their fugitive lord and master wonderful escape he gathers courage to pause and look homeward but is perplexed with a sense of change about the familiar edifice such as affects us all when after a separation of months or years we again see some hill or lake or work of art with which we were friends of old in ordinary cases this indescribable impression is caused by the comparison and contrast between our imperfect reminiscences and the reality 
in wakefield the magic of a single night has wrought a similar transformation because in that brief period a great moral change has been effected but this is a secret from himself before leaving the spot he catches a far and momentary glimpse of his wife passing athwart the front window with her face turned toward the head of the street the crafty nincompoop takes to his heels scared with the idea that among a thousand such atoms of mortality her eye must have detected him right glad is his heart though his brain be somewhat dizzy when he finds himself by the coal-fire of his lodgings so much for the commencement of his long whim-wham after the initial conception and the stirring up of the man's sluggish temperament to put it in practice the whole matter evolves itself in a natural train we may suppose him as the result of deep deliberation buying a new wig of reddish hair and selecting sundry garments in a fashion unlike his customary suit of brown from a jew's old clothes bag it is accomplished wakefield is another man the new system being now established a retrograde movement to the old would be almost as difficult as the step that placed him in his unparalleled position furthermore he is rendered obstinate by a sulkiness occasionally incident to his temper and brought on at present by the inadequate sensation which he conceives to have been produced in the bosom of mrs wakefield he will not go back until she be frightened half the death well twice or thrice as she passed before his sight each time with a heavier step a paler cheek and more anxious brow and in the third week of his non-appearance he detects a portent of evil entering the house in the guise of an apothecary next day the knocker is muffled toward nightfall comes the chariot of a physician and deposits its big-wigged and solemn burden at wakefield's door whence after a quarter of an hour's visit he emerges perchance the herald of a funeral dear woman will she die by this time wakefield is excited to something like energy of feeling but still lingers away from his wife's bedside pleading with his conscience that she must not be disturbed at such a juncture if aught else restrains him he does not know it in the course of a few weeks she gradually recovers the crisis is over her heart is sad perhaps but quiet and let him return soon or late it will never be feverish for him again such ideas glimmer through the mist of wakefield's mind and render him indistinctly conscious that an almost impassable gulf divides his higher department from his former home it is but in the next street he sometimes says fool it is in another world hitherto he has put off his return from one particular day to another henceforward he leaves the precise time undetermined not to-morrow probably next week pretty soon poor man the dead have nearly as much chance of revisiting their earthly homes as the self-banished wakefield would that i had a folio to write instead of an article of a dozen pages then might i exemplify how an influence beyond our control lays its strong hand on every deed which we do 
and weaves its consequences into an iron tissue of necessity. Wakefield is spellbound. We must leave him for ten years or so to haunt around his house without once crossing the threshold, and to be faithful to his wife with all the affection of which his heart is capable, while he is slowly fading out of hers. Long since, it must be remarked, he has lost the perception of singularity in his conduct. Now for a scene. Amid the throng of a London street we distinguish a man, now waxing elderly, with few characteristics to attract careless observers, yet bearing in his whole aspect the handwriting of no common fate for such as have the skill to read it. He is meagre, his low and narrow forehead is deeply wrinkled, his eyes, small and lustreless, sometimes wander apprehensively about him, but oftener seem to look inward. He bends his head, and moves with an indescribable obliquity of gait, as if unwilling to display his full front to the world. Watch him long enough to see what we have described, and you will allow that circumstances, which often produce remarkable men from nature's ordinary handwork, have produced one such here. Next, leaving him to sidle along the footwalk, cast your eyes in the opposite direction, where a portly female, considerably in the wane of life, with a prayer-book in her hand, is proceeding to yonder church. She has the placid mien of settled widowhood. Her regrets have either died away, or have become so essential to her heart, that they would be poorly exchanged for joy. Just as the lean man and well-conditioned woman are passing, a slight obstruction occurs and brings these two figures directly in contact. Their hands touch. The pressure of the crowd forces her bosom against his shoulder. They stand face to face, staring into each other's eyes. After a ten years' separation, thus Wakefield meets his wife. The throng eddies away and carries them asunder. The sober widow, resuming her former pace, proceeds to church, but pauses in the portal and throws a perplexed glance along the street. She passes in, however, opening her prayer-book as she goes. And the man, with so wild a face that busy and selfish London stands to gaze after him, he hurries to his lodgings, bolts the door, and throws himself upon the bed. The latent feelings of years break out. His feeble mind acquires a brief energy from their strength. All the miserable strangeness of his life is revealed to him at a glance, and he cries out passionately, "'Wakefield, you are mad!' Perhaps he was so. The singularity of his situation must have so moulded him to itself that, considered in regard to his fellow-creatures and the business of life, he could not be said to possess his right mind. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish, to give up his place and privileges with living men without being admitted among the dead. The life of a hermit is nowise parallel to his. He was in the bustle of the city as of old, but the crowd swept by and saw him not. He was, we may figuratively say, always beside his wife and at his hearth, 
yet must never feel the warmth of the one nor the affection of the other it was wakefield's unprecedented fate to retain his original share of human sympathies and to be still involved in human interests while he had lost his reciprocal influence on them it would be a most curious speculation to trace out the effect of such circumstances on his heart and intellect separately and in unison yet changed as he was he would seldom be conscious of it but deem himself the same man as ever glimpses of the truth indeed would come but only for the moment and still he would keep saying i shall soon go back nor reflect that he had been saying so for twenty years i conceive also that these twenty years would appear in the retrospect scarcely longer than the week to which wakefield had at first limited his absence he would look on the affair as no more than an interlude in the main business of his life when after a little while more he should deem it time to re-enter his parlour his wife would clap her hands for joy on beholding the middle-aged mr wakefield alas what a mistake would time but await the close of our favourite follies we should be young men all of us and till doomsday one evening in the twentieth year since he vanished wakefield is taking his customary walk toward the dwelling which he still calls his own it is a gusty night of autumn with frequent showers that patter down upon the pavement and are gone before a man can put up his umbrella pausing near the house wakefield discerns through the parlour windows of the second floor the red glow and the glimmer and fitful flash of a comfortable fire on the ceiling appears a grotesque shadow of good mrs wakefield the cap the nose and chin and the broad waist form an admirable caricature which dances moreover with the upflickering and down-sinking blaze almost too merrily for the shade of an elderly widow at this instant a shower chances to fall and is driven by the unmannerly gust full into wakefield's face and bosom he is quite penetrated with his autumnal chill shall he stand wet and shivering here when his own hearth has a good fire to warm him and his own wife will run to fetch the grey coat and small clothes which doubtless she has kept carefully in the closet of their bedchamber no wakefield is no such fool he ascends the steps heavily for twenty years have stiffened his legs since he came down but he knows it not stay wakefield would you go to the sole home that is left you then step into your grave the door opens as he passes in we have a parting glimpse of his visage and recognize the crafty smile which was the precursor of the little joke that he has ever since been playing off at his wife's expense how unmercifully has he quizzed the poor woman well a good night's rest to wakefield this happy event supposing it to be such could only have occurred at an unpremeditated moment we will not follow our friend across the threshold he has left us much food for thought a portion of which shall lend its wisdom to a moral and be shaped into a figure amid the seeming confusion of our mysterious world 
individuals are so nicely adjusted to a system and systems to one another and to the whole that by stepping aside for a moment a man exposes himself to a fearful risk of losing his place forever like wakefield he may become as it were the outcast of the universe end of wakefield